Hi everyone and welcome to The Blogcast where each week we bring you an inspirational guest or message to help you develop a holistically healthy lifestyle. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of The Blowcast. I'm your host, Brendan Hardman, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you for subscribing and downloading our episodes. I truly do appreciate each and every one of you that do that. If you haven't already done that, can you please go out there and subscribe to our podcast? Follow us in our social media page, and I'd really, really appreciate it if you share this episode or this post with your network. Please feel free to leave a review on iTunes for us. In this upcoming episode, there could be some confronting topics that I discuss. And so as always, I want to share with you that Beyond Blue and Lifeline are two fantastic organizations out there that do great things for men's health. And in the show notes, I will be providing the information there for you. If you do need to reach out, then please do. Please don't be afraid to. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the stigma that surrounds mental health in society today and we're going to discuss how we can normalize this without running the risk of over normalizing i guess is a good way of putting it and we'll discuss that in further in the episode as we get in so right now let's get stuck into episode two and we'll get straight into the content here as a bit of background if you haven't listened to episode one yet i really would like you to go back and do that first. It gives you an overview of what I went through to try and create this podcast, uh, why I decided to do it, and a real in-depth look at me and my life and what I've been through to kind of get here now. And you'll be able to get really get a better understanding of the purpose that sits behind the blogcast and why we are here to serve you, our audience. First, I'm just going to give you a bit of a snapshot and take you back to a bit of a reminder about what I spoke about in episode one about my own mental health. And so I spent eight years in the military, um, or just under eight years, actually, it was about seven and a half in the end. And I suffered some pretty bad injuries to my lower back, uh, required to have two spinal surgeries um, that resulted in me being medically discharged from the military. Whilst I was going through all this, I was on heavy drug and opioid treatments and uh, ended up being diagnosed with with depression and severe anxiety. And it got to a point in my life, I let it get that bad that it got to a point in my life where I, I nearly took my own life. And I sat there in bed one night, 30 centimeters away from my wife, who was asleep next to me, and I was ready to go. And it wasn't until I started taking ownership of my issues and I started educating myself and understanding how normal it actually is to suffer from a mental illness. You know, some, some key stats right here off the bat, 45% of Australians will suffer from mental illness of some sort in their life. 20% of those will be depression. It's one in five, pretty decent stats, if you ask me. It becomes pretty normal when you start to think about it that way. But for some reason, we have this stigma, especially, especially around men's mental health, that we just can't seem to shake. It's getting better over time, but it's still there. And... As a man, we're made to believe that we can't cry, that we can't show our emotions, that we can't talk up and speak 
about our emotions to our friends and our families. Otherwise, the results are that we look less than a man, that we're ridiculed and judged by our friends. When in reality, when we spend the time, and I can honestly say I've been there myself, I've been the one that's been doing the ridiculing, it's because at the time I was so emotionally immature. I didn't understand anything about mental health. I didn't understand what people were going through. I couldn't get it. It wasn't until I actually went through my own adversity that I actually started to realize what you actually deal with and how actual normal it is. And we tend to have this fear that we're going to lose out in our social structure if we speak out, that our friends are for some reason going to disown us. But I would happily say 90% of the time, that's not the case. Most people are just giving a front because they don't understand what you're going through. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping and praying that by providing this episode, if people can just listen to this, and I've got this great analogy coming up of how I used to talk about mental health, and I hope you do stay to tune into that because it is the best way that I've learned to think about mental health, especially depression. I feel that there are a lot of common misconceptions out there that people get in their brains, which I think are one of the main causes for people not actually getting out there and seeking the help they need. And I want to talk about these misconceptions now, and hopefully we can really shut those down and really expose those as being false. I'm going to mainly speak here about depression, uh, purely because it's just something that I understand quite well, uh, because I have suffered from it for some time now. And so it's easier for me to talk about, and it's easier for me to relate these misconceptions and these false truths back to that illness. The first one is that most people who are suffering from a mental illness or are suffering from depression, they believe that once they have it, they'll never recover. But most people will recover from depression. They'll make a full recovery and live a normal life. The second is that if I am actually diagnosed with depression, well, surely I'm no longer able to work. You know, I'm no longer useful in life. I'm no longer, no longer useful in the workplace. A lot of people have even come to me and said they're worried about the fact that they may not be a good parent anymore. Suffering from depression, I can tell you, says nothing about your capability for working or parenting. Some people in their lives may require assistance from time to time within their workplace, but majority won't. Majority won't even mention it to their workplace, which is one of the key issues that we do have with depression. And it's one of the key issues that we do have with mental illness across the board is that people are too afraid to speak up for it because they're worried about what will happen to them in their workplace. I know this because I went through this. I was serving in the army when I was diagnosed with major depression and anxiety. Stereotypically, it's not really the workplace where most people come out and speak about their feelings. It's a very closed off, very macho environment. And to their credit, the military is actually changing that now and they're trying, they're, they're moving along the path to actually rectify those issues. But at the stage when I was really diagnosed, I didn't feel like I had the ability to come out and actually say that. I thought I was going to lose the respect of every single person that was underneath my command. When in reality, it was actually the complete opposite. I got so much support from my workplace. I got so much support from my boss. You know, I was able to go about my recovery, both physically and mentally, and I was still able to lead my troops. I was still able to do my job where I could uh, because of my physical limitations. 
But once it actually came out and actually spoke up about it, I started to feel like it wasn't controlling my life. Now, that wasn't always the case. I went through some severe anxiety. And unfortunately for me, it it re-raised its head for me once I actually discharged from the military. And I had some really, really bad anxiety around my mental health and around my depression. I used to walk down the street and I'd look at strangers walking past me and you'd make eye contact as you do with normal strangers walking past you. But in my brain, I would think they're staring at me. They know that I'm sick. They know there's something wrong with me. They know I'm fucked up in the head. They know that I'm on the brink of losing my fucking shit right now in this middle of this street. What the fuck am I doing out here? And it got to the point where I couldn't leave the fucking house. I couldn't get outside. I was too busy worried about the judgment that was coming my way. I was too busy worried about my friends and family disowning me. I was too busy worried that I'd never be able to work again, that I'd never be able to continue my career in whatever pathway that I'd chosen to do at the time. I was frozen in time. That's what it felt like. It felt like I was fucking frozen in time. And the truth of that was, is that I didn't start to recover from that until I started taking ownership of the problems that were happening inside my head. I started to educate myself in understanding how normal it is to suffer from a mental illness. You're not special. You're no different to every other person out there. When one in five people alone suffers from depression, you're really not special. You're not standing out in the crowd. You're exactly like everyone else around you. And what actually really started to help me heal was when I started to talk about it. And I'm not just talking about public speaking here. I'm not just talking about getting in front of a crowd and bearing my soul, showing them my emotions. I'm talking about sitting down with my wife and having an actual honest discussion about what is going through my head. Because I can tell you what your wife is thinking is completely different to what you're thinking. There were times when we'd sit there and she'd ask me to empty the bin or something as simple like that. And in my head, I'm sitting there saying, well, I don't need to empty the fucking bin now. I can empty the bin later. Just let me do what I'm doing now and let me go about my business. I could have been reading, could have been playing a game, I could have been watching TV, I could have been fucking moping about in the corner like I was doing for a long time. In her brain, she's thinking, why the fuck is this guy not getting up and doing what I ask him to do? I just want him to empty the fucking bin so I continue cleaning, I can finish off doing the kitchen, we can finish off dinner, we can get the our animals fed, we can do whatever we need to do for the rest of the night, we can sit down and relax. Why can't he just do that? And we had these clashes of thoughts back and forth, back and forth for a while until we actually sat down and said, we need to fucking talk about this. We need to sit there and be honest with each other as to what is actually going through our brains. And we actually had a mediator sit there. We had, a, had my psychologist sit there with us and actually piece it out of our brains until we actually understood that we were on completely different wavelengths. And it wasn't until we started to communicate properly that we started to bridge the gap that I had put in between us that we actually started to get over this and we actually started to move forward and we became stronger. We became so close and we are so close now. Our relationship is so rock tight because we don't have the fear anymore of the unknown. I've educated myself. I understand the process that I've been through. I understand the process to recovery. I know what it is. I'm doing it every fucking day because I learned and I went out there and I executed. To try and further normalize this for you as i just said before one in five people in their lives will suffer from depression 45 percent 
of Australians will suffer from mental health illness or mental health adversity at some point in their life. That's a pretty big statistic. Now I'm going to talk about this concept that I got inside my head. And I'm certainly not the first to come up with this. Someone along this path has discovered this. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find it. But I sat down there with my psych and we discussed this. And this is what I formulated in my brain. And this is really how I started to understand that there was actually nothing wrong with me. Not in the terms that I was suffering from mental health, because obviously I was. So not in those terms, but in the terms that I'm not weak. I'm not useless. I'm not any different to any other person. You know, I'm strong. And this is how I started to do it. And I'm going to tell you a story that's a little bit of a segue, but hopefully it'll tie back together and make sense. It always makes sense in my head, but you never know when you're trying to communicate that across to other people. So back when I was younger, I mentioned to you in episode one, and if you haven't listened to that yet, please go back and listen to episode one because I feel like it gives us a great snapshot of my life in general and then where I really want this podcast to go. And I'm super excited about some of the guests we have coming up next week. However, back to this story now. I mentioned in episode one that I used to play football when I was younger, and I mentioned that I tore my ACL. What happened was I was actually in my first league debut for Kingsley Amateur Football Club. I'd been playing Colts the previ- uh, under-18s the previous two seasons. And then I uh, got upgraded, played reserves for a first couple of weeks, and then I got upgraded to the, uh, to the seniors list. And it was my first game. And I was playing pretty good. Um, probably not playing amazing, but for a first game for a young 19, 20-year-old kid, I was playing, uh, I was playing pretty decent football. And I was playing fullback, so that's a defender. If anyone doesn't understand, I guess, uh, Australian rules football that is listening, that's a the key defender in the back line. And I was running towards the ball. I had a player running right on my tail, and it was really wet weather. There was mud everywhere. I planted my knee, and I twisted to change directions, and then he hit me from the side, completely untoward, certainly nothing nothing in it like he it was a clean hit it was a good hit actually bumped me from the side and my knee my right knee stayed exactly where it was and my body went over the top of it and ended up tearing the acl i tore the sack around the uh around the actual kneecap because i had dislocated the knee at the same time ripped my medial completely in half and then i tore half my lateral uh ligaments in my knee and so i'd done a pretty bloody good job at destroying my knee what happened when was that was the serious trauma that I went through so I had the traumatic event where I busted my knee and that's essentially what happened so what happened then was that I managed to get myself off to the sidelines um, managed to walk off which I'm still pretty proud of uh, even though I was in a lot of pain uh, and on the sidelines I had a physio do a quick test on my knee and he was pretty certain he, he looked at me and said, I think you've done your ACL, uh, but we need to go and get scans. I said, no worries. Jumped to the car, went down to the hospital with my dad and jumped under MRI, got a scan done, joined your ACL. Obviously pretty devastated, but no dramas. From there, I went to have surgery and I had my ACL reconstruction, took a hamstring graft from my right hamstring and used that as the new anterior cruciate ligament within my right knee. Once I had the surgery done, I then went on to a short-term rehabilitation plan, and this 
this plan was really to get me moving and get my knee moving again. And anyone who's been through an ACL reconstruction or a ankle reconstruction, shoulder reconstruction, any any kind of surgery, to be honest, you know that you have an immediate period after your surgery where you need to get shit done. And that could be just simple stretches, simple getting your knee in the right positions, getting back in the water. Uh, after a f- three or four weeks, you know, getting on a bike slowly and just doing some slow pedaling and teaching yourself how to use your leg again, essentially. From there, I progressed to some more intensive rehabilitation on my knee. And so this is where we start getting into physio. This is where we start getting into Pilates. This is where we start getting into strengthening the muscles around the knee so that I can trust myself again. Next time I want to run, change direction, do whatever it is that I want to do. And for me, at that point, I had started to realize that I wanted to join the army. So that was the career path I wanted to take. So I needed to get my knee right so I could join the military. And slowly, I started to run again. I started to jog again, slowly at first, just short distances. Then with that, increase into a longer run. And slowly, I started to pick my distance up, my fitness up. I started to be able to change directions, to be able to maneuver. Until finally, I felt good about my knee. Finally, I trusted my knee. I'd been to the gym, done a lot of hard work, been to the physio, done a lot of hard work, and I finally had that faith that my knee wasn't going to blow on me once I got into any type of physical scenario. And then I joined the military. And here I am now. (laughs) However, there's probably a lot of people out there listening going, mate, fucking great story, but what the fuck does that have to do with depression? Well, what you realize when you start to educate yourself is that the process is exactly the same as when you blow your knee. And so for me, I had a series of traumatic events on my back that led to me having back issues, severe pain, and in the end, surgery. Those issues caused me to start suffering from depression. The same as the traumatic event that I had in AFL caused me to blow my knee. I had a series, in this case, I had a series of events that caused me to begin to suffer from depression. Once I'd actually taken ownership of that and realized that I did need help, and the only time I actually did that was when my wife actually came to me and said, I think you need to go and get help. I then went to the doctor, and that's when the doctor sat me down. My GP, still my GP today, he's an absolute legend of a bloke. If you listen to this, mate, I fucking love you. But he sat me down, and he got me to answer these. It's pretty standard. They get to answer these questionnaires, three or four of them, different ones that assess your uh, mental health and assess your mental state and how you're thinking about yourself. And then, and then that gives you a score and that determines where you sit on the scale, I guess. And I filled out these forms and gave them back to him. And I sat there waiting and he turned to me and said, mate, I think you, you really need to get some help. You use your scores are off the chart here. You're, you're really, this tells me that you're suffering from severe depression. So all of a sudden I got that diagnosis, the same as what I got when I did my knee, when I went to the doctor and I got my scans and he said, you've torn your ACL. Next, I went into this initial period of rehabilitation, this intense period of rehabilitation that straight after you're diagnosed, which is where you go to your psychiatrist or your psychologist. For me, it was a psychiatrist. Um, I was seeing a psychologist and a psychiatrist at the same time. Didn't get the good vibe from the psychologist. Got a great vibe from a psychiatrist. So I chose to stay with the psychiatrist and chose to um, not go to the psychologist. We sat down together and we started to really get into the nuts of what was going on in my brain. And he put me on antidepressants. And I'm a big believer in 
the antidepressants do not solve the issues that you have in your brain. All they do is regulate your mood. That's what they're there to do. And they do a great job of that. They play a part in everyone's rehabilitation that needs to go on medication. Not everyone needs to go on medication. But when you're having mood swings as severe as I was, you need to have some control around that to be able to put yourself in the framework so that you can work on everything else and get better. And so that was my initial intensive period where we sat down and we started to piece apart what was going on in my brain. I would come out of every session bawling my eyes out. I would, without a doubt, I'd be crying in nearly every single one of those sessions because it's hard to talk about those things. It's hard to talk about what you're thinking about. It's hard to tell someone that you fucking hate yourself. It's hard to sit there and say, I think I'm a piece of shit. I don't believe in myself anymore. That's what I was thinking. And so if we look back to my knee surgery, I had that same initial period where I went through that initial teething area of trying to get my knee working again, trying to get my knee functioning in the right way. In here, I'm trying to get my brain functioning in the right way, trying to address what it is that's going on inside my head. And so after that, we progressed from that and we went into the long-term rehabilitation stage. So just like when I went in there with my knee and I started doing my jogging, started doing my running, started doing my pool work, I started doing what's called cognitive behavior therapy, which is a therapy that is very common and is very often used by psychologists mainly and psychiatrists sometimes. I'm pretty lucky that I had a psychiatrist that, or they have, sorry, a psychiatrist that is trained in that and is able to deliver that program to me. And what that does is it starts to get you to challenge the thoughts that are in your brain. It starts to get you to write down your thoughts. So you essentially journalize everything and you write down what it is that's in your brain. And you say, I'm having these depressive moments where I feel like I'm a piece of shit and I feel like I'm not achieving anything. And I feel like that I've done nothing in my life and I shouldn't be here. And then it makes you stop and actually assess that and say, hang on a second, is that actually true? And then you start to challenge those thoughts and you start to say, hang on, it's not true. I'm a great bloke. I really am. I'm a very loving. I'm a very caring. I like to think I'm funny. Most people do, but most people aren't. So I'm probably not fucking funny, but I like to think I am. I feel like I'm a great mate to all my mates. I feel like I look after my mates. I feel like I look after my family. You know, I do a lot of good things. I want to help people. Something I'm so passionate about is I want to help people. How can someone who wants to put their own feelings aside so they can help someone be a bad person? start to challenge the fact that I was thinking that I shouldn't be here, that no one would want me around. Try thinking about that in the sense that my family loves me. My mates love me. My wife adores me. Why would they not want me around? Why would it just be easy if I wasn't there? It would be harder on their lives if I wasn't there. Sometimes the truth hurt, but I started to progress. I started to work hard and I started to finally trust myself again i started to finally walk around in public and not have an anxiety attack when someone made eye contact with me because i thought they knew that i was sick and then i was fucked in the head i started to understand what was going on in my brain i started to be able to catch myself I started to be able to prevent myself from getting to that point if i saw that i was starting to i like to call it spiraling where I start, my thoughts start to spiral out of control and they go lower and lower and lower and lower until I'm right at the bottom of the pit and I can't get any release. I'm just hating myself down there. 
and I started to catch myself. I'd realize that I was spiraling and I'd catch myself and I'd lift myself back up again by using this therapy, by using what was taught to me. The same as I was finally able to trust myself again with my knee. I was finally able to change directions and run and jump and do whatever the fuck I wanted to. I was doing this with my brain. So as you can see, if you look at the two processes on a piece of paper and you write them both down and you write down what it is that you go through every single stage, they come out identical. The context is different, but the message is the same. The context is different, but the message is the same. The process is the same. You just need to look at it from a different perspective. There is one thing I do want to touch on, though, and that is the risk of over-normalizing, over-normalization. And what I mean by that is that by people thinking that, well, you know, it's one in five people suffer from depression. It's completely normal. And so I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to carry on my little way. That's not okay. Because depression and mental health illnesses affect so many other people more than just you. It's not all about you. They affect everyone around you. And so by you ignoring that thing, not only are you not helping yourself, you're not helping the people around you who are trying to help you. So this is where the importance of actually seeking out that help comes in. And what's not okay is suffering in silence. I can't stress that enough because those thoughts, they build up. And my doctor used to tell me it was like a glass of water. And slowly your glass would fill up with the different stresses and the different adversity and the different depressive thoughts that goes through your brain. And each day you'd add that little bit more of water to your glass and slowly your glass would fill, 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 fill. And you know, if your glass was only at halfway and someone pissed you off, well, you know, you could get your glass up, your glass might fill up to three quarters full. But then you're able to reduce that glass back down. But slowly, these depressive thoughts, they build up and they build up and they build up and they build up and they build up until your glass is full to the brim. And that's positive meniscus. There is a layer of water sitting there ready to spill with one single drop in it. And it could be the slightest thing, the slightest thing that goes wrong. And it drops inside your glass and then all of a sudden you overflow and your emotions spill out and you might have an anger outburst. You might have a burst where you break down into crying. You might have an anxiety attack. You might be aggressive towards someone. There's so many different scenarios of how the glass fills up and how the glass explodes and overflows. But in the end, they're all the same. Your glass is full. You need to work on emptying your glass so that when you do have adversity come in your life, you know that you have the tools, you have the techniques to be able to reduce that water within the glass. But the only way you do this is by taking ownership of what's going on in your brain. By taking ownership of your life and then educating yourself and understanding what that actual process is of healing. What do I need to go through to fix myself and to get myself functioning again? And that is the point when you can start taking back control of your life, of your mind, of your body, of your health, of your relationships, of everything. That's the point when you start to be the captain of your own fucking ship and row yourself down that river. Once again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode. I truly do appreciate you and I appreciate the support that I've been getting. You know, I haven't even released this episode live yet. And the support that I'm getting from my friends, from my family, from people that I don't even know who have come up to me when I've announced that I'm 
starting this podcast and I'm doing it towards men's health, it's been fantastic. The Blowcast is growing and it's only going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is a journey that we are going to be on together. And I cannot wait for our next episode because our next episode is going to have one of my absolute heroes on it. He's a guy who is a mentor to me. He's a friend. He's a brother in arms. And I absolutely love him to bits. And he's one of the most inspirational people that I've ever met in my life. And I can't wait to have him on here. I can't wait to introduce you to him. So please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Go back and listen to episode one because I guarantee you there's a lot of good content in there. It's only me talking, but there's a lot of good content in there that you can take away, you can start applying to your life today. Please, if you can, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps so much towards my rating and helps so much towards launching this new podcast and being able to get it in front of as many people as I possibly can. Follow us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook and Instagram at the moment, and we'll have a few other platforms that will be coming up soon. But most of all, get out there, have some fun, be a bloke, take ownership of your life, and I'll see you in the next episode. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.